Shio everyone, it's Shiashi. Before we dive into today's episode, Maggie, Osh, and I wanted to take a moment to say thank you. If you've been with us since we started, you know that we record each episode in my sewing room slash makeshift recording space. While we are working on improving our audio, we're just grateful that you guys are listening because our number one goal is awareness and sharing the names of our stolen sisters. Now, on to the episode. Nevaeh Kingbird is 15 years old and a member of the Minnesota Chippewa Tribe Leech Lake Band. In late October 2021, she went missing in Bemidji, Minnesota during a house party. While her family has remained hopeful for Nevaeh's safe return, a new police update almost six months after her disappearance is now asking community members in Bemidji to be on the lookout. This is Nevaeh's story. Hey guys, this is Ash. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie. And you're listening to We Are Resilient. <sighs> all right. We're, we're all a little laggy today because it's so it's cold. It's this weather. Yeah. It was snowing. We came back from Asheville just a little bit ago. That's why I was a few minutes late and it was snowing on the way back a little bit. I'm so over the snow. I didn't stay home last night and I had my, cause it was 80 degrees when I left. Mm -hmm. So I had left my air on. Oh no. And I came oh my home gosh. and it was 51 degrees in my house. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was warmer outside. Yeah. It was insane. <laughs> Better open your windows with the heat in from the snow. <laughs> Oh gosh. Yeah, I'm over the snow. I'm like, if it's gonna be spring, let it be spring. Bring on the sunshine. What, what is this called? Is it is this what is this? Blackberry winter, dogwood winter? I don't, I don't know. know the difference. They were talking about dogwoods today at work. So I think it's I think the dogwoods just bloomed. Oh, I think it is dogwood winter. And I think blackberry is like at the end of April. I don't even know what that means. When it's they say dog like, it's like farmer's tales, like they always like it's how they determine like when to plant stuff and like like they're saying that now like you shouldn't plant stuff until after this frost this little winter spell oh uh, southern thing someone had mentioned the dogwoods and I, <laughs> I thought it was a family <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's like what about the dogwoods are they okay <laughs> where are they from <laughs> who's their people <laughs> it completely went over my head that's all right. I, I don't have I don't have a green thumb, so I don't know anything about plants and stuff. I just feel like winter never ended. That's it, true. It's warm for like one day, and then it gets cold again. It's pretty much North Carolina in a nutshell. Yeah, that is true. When I go, when I'm at track meets, I don't know if I'm sunburnt or windburnt because <laughs> yeah, it's so one windy. or the other. Yeah. <laughs> all right, are we ready? Yes. We're ready. Where are you taking us today? Well, today is actually a listener request. We received an email asking us to cover this story. It's very recent. And before I really get into it, I just want to mention, you know, to anybody listening, send us your requests. You know, we see them. We try to respond as quickly as we can. But we want to make sure that we get these stories out there. So send them in because we're going to try and cover as many of them as we can. This email mentions specifically our episode covering Rose Downwind and asked us to please help spread awareness about 15-year-old Nevaeh Kingbird, who was last seen in Bemidji, Minnesota on October 22nd, 2021. This is a 15-year-old. And... Wow. Uh, 
Yeah. So is this in the same town that Rose Downwind? Yes. So yeah. Gotcha. And just wait, wait, Maggie, till I get further into this because I really went into um, a deep dive on this case. Hold I'm waiting. So Nevaeh was born on August 6, 2006, and is from the Red Lake, Minnesota Reservation, but she was born and raised in Bemidji. So according to NamUs, she is an enrolled member of the Minnesota Chippewa Tribe, the Leech Lake Band. When I was looking this tribe up, it got a bit confusing for me. So I'm going to break this down just as quick as I can because, Ash, you gave us a really good background about the tribes in this area. So I do apologize if it gets repetitive. The Leech Lake Band is also known as the Leech Lake Band of Chippewa Indians or the Leech Lake Band of Minnesota Chippewa Tribe. We actually um, get rice from there, from the Leech Lake Band. What? My husband, Jake, his brother went out there for a meeting, I guess. And he brought some back. And so now we order it and that's what we cook with. I did not know that. <laughs> What's different about the rice? It's just good. Okay. I, I think it's well, it's more like, um, I don't think it's processed as much. No, it's, I'll have to look more into it to see how they uh, get it out and where they sell it at. But I know we can order it online. Okay. So the Leech Lake Band is an Ojibwe band located in Minnesota and is one of the six bands making up the Minnesota Chippewa tribe. The latest information I found was from 2014 that said this particular band had about 9,426 enrolled tribal members. So uh, it's fairly small. The band's land base is the Leech Lake Indian Reservation, which includes 11 communities. Now, Bemidji, where Nevea was born, is named after the chief Bemidji. I think that was his nickname. And Bemidji has a diverse population of over 15,000 people located between the three reservations, Leech Lake, Red Lake, and White Earth. Now, Nevea is the third oldest of six children and was described as a very loving and kind person who loves spending time with her family and siblings. Uh, she loves to paint and draw and write poetry. And she also spoke fluently. That's awesome. Which Ojibwe is an endangered language. Indigenous languages throughout the world are in decline and have been since Europeans first colonized the Americas. And I did some research. It goes back into how the United States established uh, federal boarding schools to re-educate Indian children and youth in the English language. And that the basically boarding schools demanded that everybody speak English. The history, I mean, it goes along with the most indigenous languages, how indigenous people had to repress their own language. And as a result, over generations, our language has been lost over time. So I was really impressed that at 15, she could speak her language fluently. So she must come from a fluent household? I would assume. It didn't say anything about the background in terms of the family speaking the language, but her mother did say that she spoke fluently, which indigenous languages are hard to learn. Learning Cherokee is a hard, it's a hard language. So I'm just impressed by anybody who at 15 is speaking an indigenous language fluently, which is really cool. It's amazing. And it's truly uh, a wonderful thing that she was a fluent speaker, but it's sad that we're all like, wow, she could speak and she was 15 when it should be the norm. I'm recently working on a project and I'm interviewing our fluent speakers here in Cherokee. Mm -hmm. I found out that a lot of them spoke Cherokee. They spoke their language until they were about five or six and they had to start going to the Cherokee day schools. When they got to these schools, they had to speak English or they got their mouth washed out with soap. 
or they got punished for speaking Cherokee, but it's the only way they knew how to communicate. And I remember speaking to one lady and she said that one of her older brothers, you know, they went to school. And then when their younger sister started going to school after school at home, they would have to teach her how to speak in English so she wouldn't get in trouble. So she wouldn't be punished for speaking the only language she knew her whole life. And I couldn't imagine. Yeah, I couldn't imagine punishing a child for not being able to speak a language I've never heard before. So but it's phenomenal that she's that she was a fluent speaker. It just goes back to, you know, what we've all talked about is how, you know, when we lose our indigenous women and girls, we lose their knowledge. And she was very knowledgeable, especially in the language, if she could speak it fluently. So it is sad. That's a big loss. Um, Maggie, didn't you mention that your grandmother, was she a fluent speaker? Is she a fluent speaker? She is a fluent speaker. And she went to the Snowbird Day School, which was a boarding school um, Uh up until, I think, fifth grade. But they were actually a little more fortunate. And the leaders of that day school or the teachers there didn't punish them for speaking Cherokee. So that's actually why there are more fluent speakers in Snowbird than any community. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. They still taught them English, but they didn't punish them for speaking Cherokee. In today's society, it's it's kind of odd, but like, you know, like your grandma Maggie and my grandma, they went to those schools and they only went to like fifth grades. Yeah, and because they- the, after fifth grade is when, I think it's when boarding schools were like disbanded. So the only schools that they could go to were white schools at that point. So they just didn't go to school. Yeah. Oh and gosh. so how did they make it how did they make it through life with a fifth grade education? I think about that all the time. My grandma's taught herself so many things. Both my grandparents were fluent speakers and we spoke Cherokee in our household all the time. And I just thought it was normal. I thought everybody spoke Cherokee. It is hard. It's very hard to learn the language. It's so descriptive. It really is. I hold a high regard to anyone who is a fluent speaker in their la- in their native language. Well, and it sounds like she was very artistic and very creative. Um, even though she was just a freshman in high school, uh, her mother, her brother's name is Teddy Wind, said she had big dreams and was talking about wanting to go to college in Colorado when she graduated, but still just 15. You don't really know what you want to do with your life. It sounds like she wanted to kind of get out and explore the world. Now, Nevea also had mental health issues and she had been having a hard time in the months before she vanished. In fact, two of her friends had died by suicide in 2021. Uh, one in April and the other just a week before she disappeared. And I looked it up and according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, suicide is the second leading cause of death among American Indian and Alaska Native youth ages 8 to 24. And it said it's a result of various issues that include health issues, community issues like poverty and homelessness and generational trauma. I knew, you know, a little bit about the high suicide rates, but the fact that it's the second leading cause of death between the ages of eight and 24 is staggering. Eight to a very young age to be in Mm -hmm. that category. Was it Selena's sister? Yeah, Selena's sister, her twin sister completed suicide, I think when she was in middle school. Yeah, that's what I remember too. I mean, I think we've talked about it before, just how mental health rates and, you know, a lot of tribal communities is really prevalent. But mental health and things like domestic violence and, you know, violence in general kind of goes hand in hand, as well as poverty and substance abuse and all of Mm -hmm. that's kind of intertwined. The last conversation Teddy had with her daughter was on October 22nd, 2021. And that was the day she was reported missing. She had called to check in on Avea and told Dateline, quote, 
she's like, I love you, mom. I miss you. And she was slurring her words. And I was like, are you okay? So in that conversation, she said, Devea claimed to be fine, but as a mother, you could, she could tell that she wasn't. At the time, Teddy was at work. And for my understanding, this was pretty late into the night when this conversation took place. So she was concerned for Nevea, left work and came home to make sure that Nevea was okay. When she got there, there was a bunch of people in the house, people that obviously didn't have her permission to be in her home. And she told them to leave. When she did that, she didn't see Nevea at the time, but went back outside and called the police. And when they came back in for the police to help her clear the house out, Nevea was not in the house. And according to the article by Dateline, she had went out the back door with her cousin. So she had like a get together at her house. It sounds like, yeah, while her mom was away at work. From what I understand, she just called to check in and she felt like Nevea was slurring her words. And so she got concerned and came home. So when she came home, there was a bunch of people at her house and then Nevea just left. Mm -hmm. And she never seen her, right? She didn't see her. her. Okay. No, but that's what she, that, that's her understanding. Nevaeh and her cousin went out the back door. Now, in the days following, Nevaeh's siblings had got COVID. Uh, Teddy had got COVID and essentially everybody in the household got COVID. It sounds like they were pretty sick for a while. And if you got COVID, it's not a fun experience. It could put you out for a while. So um, it's not really clear on where the search was for Nevaeh during this time. But Teddy did share that Nevea had run off before and she did suffer from bipolar disorder. And in her manic state, she would sometimes take off. But even in that, she would stay in contact. So her being gone this long without any contact is unusual. Once Teddy was recovered and well, she had refocused her attention on trying to find Nevea. There is some conflicting reports about when the police search started. I have read that in one case, the police immediately started searching for her after she was reported missing. But then I also read that the police didn't actively start looking for her until somewhere in mid-December. And if that's the case, that was a month and a half after she's been gone. Why do they take so long to look for her? And some of the comments I've read, just going through articles and stuff, people were like, no, they were searching in the weeks after. And then other comments were like, well, no, they didn't actively start looking until December. It was really confusing. So I would hope that with a 15-year-old missing, the police didn't wait until mid-December. Yeah, I hope not either. That's a long time. It is a very long time. And I think I would go crazy if I was homesick with COVID and not able to go out and look for her myself. Yeah, but part of this sounds like, too, it says that she would sometimes take off. So it sounds like that was kind of usual, but I think after so long without any contact is when maybe they just really started to worry. Yeah. Is my take on it. Once Teddy recovered and the police got involved, they started scouring places that Nevaeh was known to frequent. Teddy started looking on the internet, checking uh, social media accounts. She had messaged Nevaeh, texted her, and never got a response. And in fact, Nevaeh didn't respond to anybody. She was known to be very active in a group chat with her friends. But even in that, uh, her friend said that she had not responded or had contact with anybody in that group chat. 
So what I found interesting was that there was a detective during this time, uh, a detective, Dan Seberg of the Bemidji Police Department, who said that she was reported missing, but she was listed as a runaway. And after speaking with Nevaeh's mother, Teddy, he said, quote, I called her mother to see if she had heard from her and to see if she had returned home. And her mother informed me that she had not and that she believed she was possibly with a few friends. I then attempted to make contact with them and wasn't successful initially making contact. Well, I think it's kind of hard, but if you hear from family that, you know, she's probably with friends, it wouldn't raise as many red flags as it would if it's like, I have no clue where she is. This is unlike her. Like If it was the first time, yeah. But to say like, you know, she's probably with friends, that probably makes it hard for them to put like as much search efforts as they would for someone who is clearly in danger, you know? Yeah. And that's what's hard about mental health, I think, is I don't know if everyone knows what like manic is, but it basically is like really, really highs and really, really like low lows. So -hmm. depending on like what situation she was in, like it could be more concerning one way or the other, you know? Yeah, especially if her behavior was really erratic. It just sounds like you're right from saying that she's possibly with a few friends. It could make the police think, okay, she's not in immediate danger. I can see your point. So authorities did learn that after Nevaeh had left the house that night on October 22nd, she ended up going to a friend's house around 1 a.m. or so and then left that friend's house. But here's what I thought was kind of weird. So Teddy told Dateline that some of the people at the residence had told her son that when Nevaeh had left, she had jumped out of a window and hit her head. And according to that conversation, she laid on the ground for a long time and then she ran off. And Teddy said that was the last time anybody heard from her or even seen her. So I'm not sure what to think of that, that she just jumped out of a window, hit her head and laid on the ground for a long time. That was the case. Why didn't nobody check on her? This was at her house or her friend's house? She went to a friend's house after she had snuck out. Okay. Yeah. And that first she fell out and hit her head. Possibly. She jumped out of a window and hit her head. She laid on the ground for a long time and then she ran off. Hmm. Sounds very sketchy to me. I ain't going to lie to you. But you know, no one's, it's so hard when these situations, when, I mean, we've heard these stories before, but it's really hard when there's like drugs or alcohol involved and, you know, it feels like no one wants to tell the truth and no one wants to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get that. I guess in my head, I'm just thinking, my gosh, if someone's on the ground after jumping out of a window and hitting their head, me, I wouldn't just watch them lay there and be like, man, she's laying there for a long time. But you're right. If there's alcohol and stuff involved, that's a whole different scenario, especially if it's young kids. Um, now, Detective Seberg did confirm that Nevaeh's phone was found at that house. And that the police did follow up with everyone that had been identified to them as someone who was present at the house when she left that night. And he also said that ground searches were done as well as drone searches and canine searches and nothing has turned up. Um, eventually, the only thing that they found was a sweater that belonged to Nevaeh's grandmother was found in a nearby area. But it wasn't confirmed that Nevaeh was actually wearing it when she vanished or how it got to that area in the first place. And that's the only thing I could find that was um, turned up during these searches. But what's interesting is that the latest update I found was a report dated on April 5th. So just three days ago from the Bemidji Pioneer. And the police had a request for this particular section of Bemidji. It was the Nymore area and south to Hubbard County Road 9. And they said that with the snow melting and spring coming in, they were asking residents of that section to check their buildings 
items with covers and any other areas on their properties where someone may seek shelter. So I'm not sure what that means. What do you guys think? She could have ran away and then tried to find shelter in one of these places, right? Is that what you're saying? And now the police are asking them to look in these places. And, and well, it's almost five months later and they're mm-hmm. saying in this area, check your buildings and items with covers or anywhere someone may seek shelter. Did they correlate it to this case? Yes. Yeah. It was the latest update on Nevaeh's case. To me, it seems like they know something or are they saying that she's still hiding or that she may have like tucked herself away somewhere and passed out? And I I don't know. Like, I don't know what this means. And it's five months later, right? I mean, right. October 22nd. Maybe they've searched everywhere, like out in the open area. And this is like their last attempt to just search the entire area. Because, you know, they can't go through searching people's personal property. And it said with the snow melting, so maybe it got really... And in Minnesota, yeah, I'm sure it's there's snow throughout the entire winter, you know? Maybe they weren't able to be as thorough. But see, they weren't saying like the whole area. They were saying this specific area. Like where she was last seen? Maybe. it did. It didn't read like that. But I don't know. And one of the things the police are also dealing with, aside from this uh, update, uh, they've been dealing with a lot of speculation and rumors regarding Nevaeh's case. Um, At one point, there was a social media post that said that she was abducted by an African-American male driving a vehicle with Louisiana license plates. And that turned out to be false. And then they received another uh, report uh, with similar details, except she was kidnapped in like a different location. And so they were reaching out to the public saying, you know, when a story changes and it continues to be shared on social media, it consumes a lot of investigative resources. So I can only imagine how stuff when it's shared on social media can kind of be a detriment to the searches or getting the truth out there or. Yeah, but it's also the only way to like make sure that it's getting attention to. That's true. But I mean, in terms of people being aware or sharing from trusted resources, as opposed to just like hearsay. So the more research I got into this, I started getting into this rabbit hole because I found that another girl had gone missing about a week after Nevaeh did. And this is where it gets a little, I don't know if scary is the word, but it's concerning. There is a startling amount of teenagers in Bemidji alone that are being listed as not just missing, but missing as runaways. I went to the Bemidji Police Facebook page and there's literally one post right after the other of teenagers being listed as runaways, uh, but they left voluntarily. It doesn't appear suspicious. Honestly, I stopped counting um, after about 17 missing teenagers in the last two years in Bemidji listed as runaways, but it was not suspicious. And the youngest was, I think, 11 years old. What? Is it girls and boys? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's, is that not a crisis in Bemidji? Well, that, that's my thought, because I was going through the comments, especially on the police Facebook page, and they were like, it's every other day we're seeing a post about um, a, a kid running away. Why are there so many kids running away? Or someone's like, every other day, you know, you're posting somebody's missing. What's going on? I was typing down names dates when they did their ages. And after about 17, I was like, this is a concerning pattern here because a lot of the comments I saw placed a lot of blame on these kids. Oh, a 16-year-old can be strong-willed and just take off when they want to, which which can be true. But I guess the question is why? Why are there so many what? runaway teens? Well, yeah. Do they post like that they were found ever or... 
what this police department said they do is they just delete the post when they're found. But the thing about it is in two years, and I found at least 17, and they're listed as runaway and their disappearance does not appear suspicious. That doesn't make sense to me because I get a 16-year-old could be strong-willed and just take off, but I'm sorry, a 16-year-old is still a child. What is this community like? Like, Does it have a high like substance abuse rate or a high poverty rate? Well, I looked it up and I found a report from 2019 that listed Bemidji that has overall one of the highest crime rates of any U.S. city. It says that the national crime rate is uh, 2,489 incidents for every 100,000 people. And Bemidji's overall crime rate is 253% higher than the overall crime rate in Minnesota. So my first thoughts are like sex trafficking. That's exactly what I thought. It's exactly what I thought. Because especially like if these teenagers are like partying and, you know, hanging out in large groups and possibly using substances like people. I mean, just like here, like we have drug dealers come in from like Atlanta and Charlotte and Mm -hmm. especially around per capita time. So, you know, like people target communities like that where they know that there are people that are vulnerable. If they're partying and using drugs and, you know, around that, then I'm sure there's really bad people who are in their community, too. I just would like to know, like, what's what's the plan in Bemidji? Because, you know, it's startling that there's so many and they're constantly posting. But I think what's bothered me is that even though they're runaways, it's like their disappearance does not appear suspicious. In my head, I'm like, okay, even if they're a runaway and it's not, you know, you're listening, it's not suspicious. They're still children. I just pulled up. You know, just like you said, I just pulled up and three days ago, they reported, you know, a runaway of a 17 year old. And then they posted on March 28th, they're looking for a Native American male, age 14. He's reporting a runaway. Like, why are there so many runaways? It feels unsettling to me because it doesn't make sense why there's so many and they're just listed as runaways and does not appear suspicious, but they're all kids. Yeah, there's another one on March 10th, a 15-year-old. What's the population size of this tribe? The tribe, um, the latest I found was from that that 2014 one I told you, where mm-hmm. it was like 9,000. But it said Bemidji has like 15,000 plus people. Okay, well, I just looked up their police department and they have an entire staff of 34 people. 34, my God. So it sounds like all the same issues we always talk about. Like they have one of the highest crime rates of all cities in the United States. And they have a staff of less than 50 to try to manage that. Not to mention all of the missing kids. Like there's no way that these cases get attention that they need. And for so many, I mean, it's like back to back. They're just like, run away, run away, run away. It's just like, this is a problem. This is a really big problem. But some of the comments I saw was really placing a lot of blame on these kids, you know, kid, they're, they're on drugs or whatever. And I'm like, they're kids. They are kids. It's always the narrative, though. Yeah. And it's not anybody's place. It's not yours or mine to determine who deserves to be found or who, who deserves, deserves to live. You know? yeah. Right. It doesn't matter. I mean, they're people. I think it's unsettling just. There, there are just so many runaways and the does not appear suspicious. And then we're all on the same page when it's like, it does sound like trafficking. Why list them as runaways when they should just be missing? They're, they're people, their families don't know where they are. 
I don't know the ins and outs of like why pe- why certain people are listed certain ways, but 15, 14, 16, those are kids. And they're missing. And they're missing. It's simple as that. I wonder if there's a pipeline man camp close to there. And are they issuing like Amber Alerts for these kids? No, I think there's there's specific criteria from my understanding about what would constitute an Amber Alert. And I think part of that is, gosh, let me pull that back up. I think it's like immediate danger. These kids wouldn't be considered that because they're being classified as runaways and it doesn't appear suspicious. I don't understand because they're still kids. So Nevaeh is 5'4 and weighs around 120 pounds. She has hair past her shoulders that Teddy said she dyed jet black on one side and added a blonde streak through it. Nevaeh has a scar above her left eyebrow. She was last seen wearing jeans, a black zip-up jacket with Nike slides. If you have any information that can help bring Nevaeh home, please contact the Bemidji Police Department at 218-333-9111. Or you can submit an anonymous tip at Crime Stoppers of Minnesota. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com. <laughs>